Hello and welcome to Smart Pill, a podcast where each episode delivers concentrated knowledge on one specific topic. The podcast is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals who are passionate about bringing public media to a millennial generation. I'm Keith Saunders and I'll be your guest host for this episode. Today, we're talking about the impact of digital technology on art, how it's changed the way we create art and also how we consume it. Now the word art can encompass many things, theatrical plays, movies, dance performances, rap music, and other art forms. But for this episode, we want to keep our discussion rooted in traditional visual art, such as drawing, painting, sculpture, and all the typical stuff you would normally see in museums and galleries. The inspiration for this episode came from the pop-up art experience that the Emerging Leaders Board created last October for the 2017 Neon Art Festival in Norfolk, Virginia. Since our theme was the impact of digital technology on art, not only did we create a pop-up space where people could make, display, and comment on digital art, but we also invited three talented local artists to do live painting in virtual reality on a Google program called TiltBrush. So to start things off, we'll talk to those same three visual artists about how their process has evolved with the use of digital tools. Trying some animation because it's pedestrian nowadays. Anyone can do it. Then we'll ask if they think the reproducibility of digital art has cheapened this kind of expression. You can make it up on the back end as opposed to selling one large painting for a million dollars. And to end, we'll hear about their first time experience of painting in virtual reality. It's beautiful and amazing and strange. Now, let's talk to the artists. My name's Allison Steinley. I moved down uh, last summer for a position as an assistant professor at ODU teaching painting. I make figure paintings. I call myself a figure painter first. Some people would qualify my paintings as being, have a surrealist twist, but I'm very much into perceptual painting, direct observation, um, and I guess kind of plugging my characters into unreal situations in my paintings. Recently, I began a foray into digital sculpture and outputting those digital designs with 3D printing processes, kind of a merging of tradition and new technology in my work. Awesome. Now, Mensa? My name is Mensa Bay. I'm a graduate student at Norfolk State University currently. As far as my paintings, I create a very surrealistic, figurative paintings in essentially a virtual world documenting how we use our social medias and this world that we're kind of infused with, with technology that's kind of bridging these gaps. Richard. Uh, my name is Richard Nickel. First and foremost, I, I draw and I also painted. I'm a painter, I do murals, and I also do uh, ceramic sculpture. Very weird ceramic sculpture, very much like cartoons. And then I, I also own a company where I make ceramic growlers, so pottery. I make ceramic growlers called Norfolk Growler Company here with uh, four other partners. After talking about the types of art they like to produce, we went on to discuss how they actually use digital technology in their process. Here's Mensa discussing the software that he uses. I was a graphic design major in undergrad, and I got really into using the Adobe Creative Suites. And so vector art, pushes a lot of, it's a lot of the influence of my acrylic paintings. Once I learned how to create artwork through vector art, it simplified the painting processes to me. And then I learned or realized that I could mimic that through painting materials. And so once I was able to do that, it became easier for me because printing costs, like I could create digitally, but printing costs and things like that. So being able to translate that to a traditional medium uh, made things a lot simpler for me. And so the way I paint is 
very much reflective of using software like Adobe Illustrator, um, Adobe Photoshop, um, using those materials or using those products at that time, yeah. Okay. Next, Richard talked about his reason for using new types of software. One of the things I've been wanting to do with my life now is instead of just sticking to one thing, whether it's just drawing or ceramics, especially not ceramics, I love it, but I, I've been trying to see how I could think like a designer. Like the Italian designers from the 70s, what they would do is they would go like, I want to design a, a, a set of plates. So they make plates and they're like, oh, these plates, they look great. And they go, hey, I want, now I want to make a bike. And then they design a bike and the bike is it's beautiful. And they switch to something else. And, and, and using technology to do that is, is getting much more flexible nowadays. So switching and trying some animation because it's pedestrian nowadays, anyone can do it. Or, or photography and trying new things along the way is, is the way I'm trying to change my artwork and my way of thinking about my artwork. Some have called Allison's recent pieces sculptural paintings because they have various three-dimensional objects emanating from the pictures. Objects such as mannequin-like arms and legs, bird wings, and snarling dogs leap out at the viewer in some of her works. Most were made with a 3D printer, so we asked about her use of 3D modeling software. Yeah, okay, so I started probably a little less than a year ago, and uh, because uh, I pretty much just started using it, it hasn't evolved much. So I'm kind of just right now finishing like the first set of of sculptural objects that I've generated with the program. So part of the process was figuring out which program would work for me. So I downloaded all kinds of different programs, played around and found the one that I felt was most intuitive for me. So really it's like uh, in that year since I started um, using the software, I've generated objects, I've um, done a lot of tweaking to them, printed them. I had a, a 3D printer running essentially every day for four months because uh, I think I printed somewhere like 80 objects that I generated that were actually smaller components of larger sculptural things. So that thing was going for four months. So since then, since the printing process finished, I've adhered the separate parts together. I've sanded them. There's just lots of finishing steps that I have to do. So as far as where it's going to go or where it's going to progress, I'm not really sure because it's really kind of new to me. Next, we wanted to hear their thoughts on how digital is changing the art world as they see it. Digital art can be reproduced over and over again, uh, whereas certain traditional art types are just one-offs. Do you feel like the reproducibility of digital art cheapens it a little bit or makes it not as soulful as traditional art? I think traditionally that's, that's what the, the, the thought process is, is that digital art, because it's so easily reproducible, it reduces the price range. But there's billions of people all over the world, and so if you're creating something that can, that can be used by the common person who can afford it, and then you're, you're thinking about its effects and not necessarily the money, then if you're creating something that can get out to more people, then it's not about its, its cost, it's about that it's getting out to people and then you can make it up on the back end as opposed to selling one large painting for a million dollars. Rene Lalique, uh, whose work is up at the Chrysler right now, he's, uh, he created works after you know, some time of creating jewelry for you know, the, the upper class. He was like, well, I think these works should be created for everybody because everybody's creating the same experience. He has you know, cigarette holders that you know, he, he marketed to everybody and he gave them the same quality of work but he just wanted to make sure that everybody had access to 
these items that he was creating. And so in that sense, he had a factory creating the works. And so he was able to sell to to every type of person um, of every demographic because of that. Okay. So it's it's definitely a, a way to to do both. Okay, Allison, how do you feel about it? Do you feel the reproducibility of digital art cheapens it? I don't think so. It's like what Mensa mentioned. Like, what's your value system? Is it currency or is it viewership or you know do you just want to get it out there and have it be seen or is the end game making money? So I mean. Uh, with me for anyone listening please buy my paintings like yes i'd love to <laughs> but they, you know there's only one of them I, I, how do you market that but um versus like prints you know or like multiple prints i think it's all valid it's all gravy like do what you got to do i will say this i do have a lot of students who come in like i'm really good at digital painting it's like yeah because there's an undo button so a, away from like the there's no undo button with oil or acrylic so i think the undo button cheapens things but that's not talking about currency or value well that was going to be my next <laughs> yeah. question actually which is some people say that using computer it it makes up for the lack of skill or technique in an artist. How do you feel about that? I think that? it can sometimes. Yes. I th yeah, I think it can. Does it always? No, absolutely not. Um, there are people who do things with digital media I could never imagine doing that, you know, when I did try to get in or did get into 3D modeling, it's like learning a new language and it's tough. And there's just much... The, um, digital processes are just as valid as anything made with two hands. But I do think that there are a lot of people who don't go through a proper process to get the result that could have been better, you know, had they worked with their hands. Or I guess, like, the struggle is real. Like, sometimes you got to struggle, and digital artists struggle as much as, you know, someone making a, an oil painting. Um, but then again, you have those who kind of just weasel their way through and and use those undo buttons or use templates or aren't really thinking fully. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I saw, Mensa, I saw you nodding your head. You feel the same way? Yeah, the exact same way. I had a professor in uh, undergraduate kind of expressed that every digital format that is created is just a copy of how it was done in, in you know, traditionally. And so in that sense, it, it becomes easier for people to create things digitally because as she said, you have that undo button which is, it's been interesting for me because I, I kind of learned my style of painting through doing it digitally, but then learning those challenges that, that, that I faced when not, without having that ability to take, you know, to, to redo something or to or do it again, but in, to, to embrace those mistakes and be, you know, and, and find much more pleasure in what I'm able to do with those materials and, and create with my hands. Because especially like when you're an expressive artist, being like stuck in front of a computer it could be a little bit more difficult, but like to, to really express what you want. So there's a lot more character, I think, in my paintings than in my digitals. And so I just use them as kind of sketches and references to how I'm going to do something when I'm painting it with acrylics or any other medium that I'm, I'm using. Okay, awesome. Richard. It, again, it's, it, it, I think it always goes back to the artist. The, you, you, you can have someone who, who can take a, a piece of clay and, and breathe life into it literally uh, or, or or carve down a huge chunk of marble and turn it into an amazing sculpture that shocks people when they see it. it the same thing can happen with digital art too it, it just it just depends on who's using it. and I'm going to drop a name Jason Levesque unbelievable about six years ago he uh was just he was really popping up on the scene 
all his work was digital, everything. He maybe started off with line drawing, scan it all in, and he he grew famous for his how-to videos on YouTube and how he'd make everything um, vector graphics, throw in throw in colors. It was just unbelievable. And basically, all his work was digital. And about six years ago, I was watching him just take off, and I'm like, this guy is doing the absolute right thing at this point in time. And I looked at everything I was doing. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? Why am I not doing what this guy is doing? And he t totally changed my way of thinking about artwork and how to make art in the digital realm, in the digital uh, world that we're in now. Because he was the only one I knew in town that was doing it and his stuff was going international and still is mm -hmm. he's just unbelievable if you're not familiar with him you have to see him stunt kid aka just jason the and mm -hmm. and so his stuff has got heart it's got soul it's got love in it it's shockingly beautiful it's it's regional a lot of his work um they're not only models from around here but but the his landscapes and the little creatures he puts in there, the jellyfish, everything is taken from nature around here. So, and he, he does it so beautifully and so poetically. And he's he's just a good example of just that. You can take something like digital media, like anything else, and do something beautiful with it if you if you put your time and heart and soul on it. Do you feel that it has impacted the way you consume art? Has digital technology impacted the way you actually go out and and view? the art that you like to see? It does, it does. Um, a lot of people that I've, I've come to uh, find locally, um, being able to see their artwork there, or, or actually, it, I think it, it helps, because a lot of things, we, a lot of times we, we encounter people's artwork digitally before we encounter them as a person. So being, being able to have that attachment to their work, or have that connection to their work, or I like that, and when you see them in person, you have something that you can converse with them about because you've been kind of watching their life. You get to see a little bit of behind the scenes. So you have something to create a relationship behind. And even like if I'm go to go out of town or something and I, and I know there's an artist in a place that I, I, that I like, I can go discover, you know, find that person, and you find them in person. So I think it's a great tool to use to, to get people connected to the arts. And it's also motivational for me too because when I see people that are like around that are doing similar things as me, and I'm like, oh man, they just did a mural. I want to do a mural. So it, it pushes me. What too? When I, if I don't have that, that's that camaraderie around me, then I know I, there's a space that I could go to and say, oh, this person that I know is doing these big things. I want to be doing this too. So it gives me that reason to motivate and it pushes me to continue to do what I'm doing. Mm, okay, okay. So same for you, Allison. As far as like social media, it, it makes it so much easier to consume. I can see something on Instagram or Facebook that I can't afford to go see in person. I can find out about shows at galleries in Berlin that I might not have ever seen. I can find new artists. So it's just, it's intimidating, right? Because like, I mean, it, but it's all curated. Everything's curated, right? Like my Instagram account's curated. Everyone's Instagram account is curated, right? And I go through and I look at old posts. I'm like, I don't want that there anymore. But it, but so that's, but then you also curate what's incoming. Like you're curating what's coming in and you're curating what's going out. So I try to follow as much as I can because I might not, you know, I might miss something that's either really inspiring or not, <laughs> you know, like directing what I want to do or what I don't want to do. So it's just, it's, we already have images being thrown at us constantly, so it's kind of nice to make your own little bubble, you know? Mm. 
Richard. There, there are people out there that you always wanted to meet. It was unbelievable, and you can never meet them ever unless you lived near them or went to their school. But now you can literally Facebook someone and message them, and they can read it, and sometimes they respond back to you right away. It's just incredible. So I've been finding lots of lots of advantages of having social media where you can say, hey, look at my artwork, hey, or hey, can I do some artwork for you? And people respond. I've gotten jobs that way, just like mm-hmm. unabashedly just Facebooking message, a Facebook messaging a company going, I want to work for you. And they, like when the week after they would text me and go, let's do something together. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Is it really that simple? <laughs> right. And, and it has been for me. Whereas in the past, I could never do that. You'd have to mail your artwork to them or slides or something. Just incredible. People are right there. And, and you can contact them and make and network with people. It's just un- unbelievable to share your artwork. It's just incredible. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we invited our three artists to use Google's software program called TiltBrush to do live virtual reality painting during the Neon Art Festival. They all loved the experience. So towards the end of our conversation, we wanted to hear what it was like to paint in this new medium for the first time. And just to give you a sense of what that's like, imagine putting on a huge pair of snow goggles. And as soon as the goggles go over your face, all of a sudden you're in a different room. It's almost completely black, but in one of your hands, you can see a paintbrush. And in your other hand is a palette of colors for you to choose from. Next, all you have to do is select a color from your palette and then start painting just about anything you want. A chair, a 3D dragon, a basketball hoop, anything. All right, here are the artists. Richard, can you describe your experience while painting with the tilt brush? Um, it was shocking, actually very shocking. Yeah, and um, the, the first part of it where you're painting in the air in, into the space well, seems somewhat normal. But then when you step forward, you, f- you feel like you're going to walk into the drawing. And, and then you step through it and you see the other side of the drawing. And it just, it's unbelievable. I've never had experience like that before in my life. Never. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's mind-blowing, really. Okay. Yeah, and beautiful. And what, what kind of things did you paint when you were working with it? Um, I just did line drawings, really. Just line drawings to explore um, how to use the space. So, and then I, I started sculpting some things, but not really making like objects, but just like attaching shapes together with lines and building up stuff and, and space and looking at different sides and seeing how you could sculpt under and over and around and just playing, playing with the tools. Okay. So, yeah. Now for Allison, how about, how about for yourself? Uh, can you describe your experience with, with Tilt Brush? Um, after this whole interview and that experience, I don't know if I can go back to oil painting. <laughs> no, like it, it was, I definitely felt the influence of the 3D modeling stuff I've been doing coming in and like having a better understanding of actual 3D form. Um, but it was crazy. I was worried that I'd get motion sickness. I told everyone as soon as I got here, I'm going to get sick. No, but, uh, but it didn't happen. It was just what Rick said. It's beautiful and amazing and strange. And now, like, I have to go home tonight and paint. <laughs> now, when, when you stepped into it, was there certain inspirations that just came to you just because now you were in this 3D space? 
Um, no, I don't know. I, w- I was worried the first time doing it just a few minutes ago that I wouldn't totally understand it. So I just kind of, I tried to start with volume, unlike Rick. Like, Rick probably had a good idea with starting with linear stuff. But I tried to sculpt um, volumetrically with it. So basically, you have this this brush, right? You choose your brush. And I was thinking, like, I want a big, wide brush, right? And instead of just drawing a circle because you're in 3D space, you have to, I made a circle, but then I had to go like uh, to the side of the circle, right? So I'm not looking at the circle, I just see like a line now because I'm looking at it from the side. And then you have to bump out your, the movement of your arm to curve out the other dimension of what is now becoming a sphere instead of a circle. So it's strange, it's weird. It's, it was amazing though, I didn't want to take the headset off after a minute. I'm like, I'm feeling good. I'm walking around my painting. Yeah, it's it's, it's super strange. Like I need to get my I need to buy one. Now. Right, right. Anyway, then you know undo buttons are are helpful. Now, Mensa, can you describe your experience with the tilt brush? I think crazy was a good one uh, th- as far as describing it. it. It really it became something it was difficult to to explain because it was so new, and I had some I guess I had some expectations from you know just doing some research on it and seeing what people did, but. It, that didn't certainly translate because you were looking at something that was 2D when you're looking at you know references, and then when you're in that space, it's actually a new space. Um, and then, you know they say that you know matter can't uh, <laughs> exist in the same space, but it kind of kind of questions that because you're you're in this space that you know you just stepped into physically, but then you have a new space to create in. And what you're able to do, like I, I did the same thing as Rick. I I started off drawing line drawings, and I had a figure that I sketched up the other day and so being able to bring that to life in, in every dimension then being able to answer questions that I had from working with it um, in the 2D format and, and be like oh well what does the back of this look like and so once I drew the lines that I knew I had I was like well I need to find a way to make these lines match and it, it taught me a lot more about the figure I've been studying the figure a lot so being able to walk around the figure and actually you know recreate so many different elements within that one drawing it's, it, I think it's a very good tool for people that are modelers or sculptors. It gives them an opportunity to be like, well, I want this to look like this in this format, and they can just draw it up really quickly or however they want to do it. And then they can make it in the physical if they want. But then, it, it, man, it was just so fun. And then after I did my figure, I started playing with some of the brushes and different things you could do with them and creating all these different, you know, the, the animation that, that, the, that the brushes allow. It just became, you know, a, a, another performance to me, really. And I, I saw the potential for it there as well. So mm-hmm. it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a crazy but fun, super fun experience. It challenged everything mm-hmm. that I thought about art. So after talking to the artists, what have we learned about how digital technology has impacted art? Well, as far as how we create visual art, the artists seem to see 3D modeling software, Instagram filters, and other technology as just new tools, like a new type of paintbrush people can use to express themselves. None of the technologies are either good or bad for the art industry, they're just different. And when it comes to how we consume art, the artists seem to think that digital technology gives us more access than ever before. Art lovers can access works from across the globe and artists can get their pieces seen by people from around the world. Now, whether you're happy about this democratization of art or sad about how these new tools sully pure artistic expression depends entirely on your perspective. And when it comes to art, perspective is everything. Thanks for listening. Well, folks, you've taken your smart pill and you're better for it. 
To learn more about the talented local artists you heard on our show, see our show notes at whro.org slash smartpill. SmartPill is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals in their 20s and 30s who believe in the power of public media to make their voices heard. The podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Emerging Talks event series, bringing critical information and important conversations to people in Hampton Roads and across the country. The podcast is produced by Keith Saunders, Ryan McIntyre, Truly Matthews, and Leslie Clements, and produced in association with WHRO. Sound recording and technical assistance by Victor Bowen. Special thanks to WHRO Director of Community Engagement, Nancy Rogan, and to the WHRO Marketing Department. On behalf of the Emerging Leaders Board, thanks for joining us this month, and we'll talk to you again when it's time to take your smart pill. <laughs>